Good morning from me, and um, please grab your Bibles or Bible devices. This morning, we are journeying again through the book of Ephesians, and this morning we follow some excellent talks from the past few weeks. We have been thoroughly blessed. Last week, Caitlin looked at Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus and Paul's calling, the assignment God had given him to bring Jewish and Gentile background believers together in Jesus's new church family. This week, Paul issues us a challenge, an invitation to have our lives reflect the wonderful work that God has done to save us and bless us. It is an invitation to live life worthy of our calling and a life of unity. That's going to be my main focus for this morning. So as my friend Noah, thank you mate, so excited to have you, as my friend Noah reads Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 to chapter 4 verse 16. Oh, that's me again. Um, I would love for you friends to all be looking out with me for how we can live a life worthy of our calling. Thank you Noah, you might need to unmute. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make sure, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach our unity in the faith and in the knowledge that the son of God became and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness to, and the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Thank you so much. 
quality reading. And in fact, I, I can see people giving a wee applause as well. Quality work, mate. Thank you. Beautiful. The eagle-eyed amongst you will have realised that we have started our passage for this morning a couple of verses before the chapter divisions that appear in our Bibles. That's okay, those chapter divisions aren't actually part of the original text anyway. And we in the preaching team, we thought it would be particularly helpful to have those last two verses of chapter three lead into this morning's passage that's mostly in chapter four. All that we are about to discuss, it is all to Jesus. All so that God will be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord, as you'll see if you've got your Bible still in front of you, he urges us to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Worthy of the calling we have received. If we think about that properly for a moment, if we realize what we've received from God, it is right if we are a little daunted by the challenge of living worthy of it. Even leaving aside the specific assignment callings that God has prepared for each of us in our own particular circumstances, situations, we are first and foremost all called to be his. Called from lives of rebellion in the kingdom of the evil one doing his stuff into the kingdom of heaven as children of God living united to and obedient to God. And that relationship, that family that he calls us to, wow, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a marvelous calling. And it may well feel challenging to live up to it. But if we value our new relationship with God, then doesn't the idea of not living up to it, when we bear in mind what it cost God to give it to us, Shouldn't that make us feel just a little uneasy? So, okay, Jim, how do we do it? What does God want us to do to give him glory in the church, as it says in the end of chapter three? Is there a how to give God glory set of instructions somewhere? The church could really do with one. Good news. There is. Our passage today is a handy, handy how-to of living lives that bring glory to God. Great news. In the book of Ephesians, the beginning of chapter four is a pivot point in the letter to the church. Chapters one to three have majored on laying out what God has done for us. And from the then, or sometimes therefore, at the beginning of chapter four, verse one, Paul gets practical on how we're to live in response to what God has done for us. Just to briefly note, as we're going past this thought, this is a question of how we respond to God. His kindness. He did all the loving work to rescue us. It's all from him. This is not earning that. This is us choosing to reorientate our rescued lives to allow us to receive his presence in them and best be used by him for his loving plans. Praise God. We're not earning this, we're just responding. If someone cleared all your debts, wiped away everything you owed, and then said, now use any money that you earn really well, 
what would you use it for? I'd suggest that if you decided to pick up a gambling habit or spend all your income on illegal drugs, you would not only be wasting that amazing gift, you'd be kind of dishonoring the person who had given it to you. Your choices wouldn't be worthy of the gift that you received. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, which we studied only a few months ago, Peter tells us that just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. The fitting response to God's holy rescuing us from unholiness is to choose to live holy lives that build on that relationship with God. Almost like he cares about us and how we relate to him. And in our passage today, Paul has some practical instruction for how we can live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Starting in verse two, again, if you've got your Bibles. Three points, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I think it's no accident that these practical instructions are to do with how we treat each other. How a community treats each other is surely one of the markers that any onlooker will judge it by. Say, for example, there's a charity with the most noble aims in the world, but with nastiness between those who work for it. It would be a difficult place to serve. The same is even more true for us if we think of church as family first and foremost and a serving team second. If the family aren't living well with each other, are not loving each other well, then people will rightly be wary of joining up. So practically, it makes sense for us to follow this advice to get along as a community. But even more importantly than that practical making sense, this is something that God has told us is important to him. In Romans, Paul teaches us to, this is Romans 12 verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. And in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus sets up this gulp-worthy test. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Humility, gentleness with one another, a grace for when we mess up, and we all do. Giving the bigger slice of cake to someone else rather than snatching it for ourselves. Giving the opportunities to someone else rather than snatching them for ourselves. These are lovely things. And they build up our friends. They build up a community together. And they build up the kingdom of God. As our loving actions invite his delight in us and invite his presence in us and amongst us. So, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace.
most of us know this, but if you've got a problem with someone who you're worshipping with and it hangs in the air between you, I can tell you, your experience of the presence of God will suffer. He might not even show up in that place at all. Our being at peace with each other matters to God. His plan is for a family united in love and unresolved tensions are a surefire way to break that unity and break our ability to welcome his presence amongst us. And of course, we're going to mess up. Of course, we're going to tread on each other's toes, sometimes by accident, sometimes on purpose even. I don't think I've been to a Kaylee where that's happened on purpose. But when those things happen, that grace, that patience, that bearing with one another in love, it's essential to restore and maintain the peace that welcomes him amongst us. There's numerous passages where God warns us about this. It really matters to him. Leave your gift at the altar. Go and make peace with your brother. It's throughout scripture. And so my challenge, friends, to you this morning is, if any of us have something against a brother or a sister, or you know that a brother or sister has something against you, make a plan right now for how you are going to quickly, lovingly resolve it and restore God's peace between you. To carry on in verse four, Paul drives this message of unity home. Verses four, five, and six, we read, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And that hope is in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He wants us together. This gallery view motley crew of different broken and imperfect people walking together in mutual love, mutual forgiveness, mutual preference of each other as one body is exactly the picture that God has for his church. And our practical choices that lovingly serve one another are exactly the sort of life that is worthy of our calling to be part of it and to make a home for God's presence to live in us as individuals and as a body. But God's plan for the church is not just for us to get along, it's for us to get alongside each other in active serving. So the next section from verses 7 through to verse 13 tell us that God equips his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 12. And God does so in an amazingly generous way. In verse 8, and at this point, Veronica, I'd love your help if you don't mind popping up a slide for us. Thank you so much. Verse 8 is a quote of Psalm 68, verse 18. But if you check this verse, you will see that it doesn't match. For one thing, Paul is talking about God, he, not you, not to him. Well, that, that's okay. We can do that in quotes without changing the meaning of it. But the real change comes in the third line. And God gave gifts to his people. Um, that's not what it says in the original. 
sure what's happened here. Does Paul have a dodgy copy of the Psalms? Or perhaps is he not very good at copy and pasting? Or is there something more sinister going on? Is Paul rewriting scripture, twisting it, changing the Old Testament? Have we uncovered a conspiracy? No. But Paul is doing something clever here. He's making a point about what God is like and how Jesus turns what we expect into something much better. In the ancient world, and also in the FA Cup, when an army defeated another, there would be a big victory parade, a triumph with victorious soldiers marching proudly through the streets, especially up to a temple or a palace on a hill for all to see the enemies that had been captured and taken as slaves would be paraded to show how they'd been beaten. And the victorious general who'd won the great victory would be showered with praise and glory and gifts. And I encourage you to go and read the record of Psalm 68 later as well to see that picture played out. That there is the picture in Psalm 68 where God has defeated all of the enemies that threatened his people. God has taken up residence as the victorious king that you do not mess with. And even those who had been rebellious were bringing God gifts, we'll see on the left here, bringing God gifts to show that he is boss. Psalm 68 is a song about God coming to blow away unrighteousness and restore his justice in a broken world. And our prayers today aren't too different. But Paul is quoting this psalm, highlighting this victory parade moment and deliberately changing it so that for those of us who are familiar with the original, it jars, it sticks out as we read it and we go, huh. Paul's version, Paul's changed version, changed quote of Psalm 68, has God ascending in glory which Jesus did, and then God giving the gifts to his people, not the other way around. He should be getting the gifts and the glory, and yet God is the one giving them away. And Paul is saying that when Jesus ascended as the conqueror of death and sin, he took his place at the right hand of God the Father to lovingly represent humanity in heaven's throne room. And Jesus the generous has secured gifts for us, not for himself. Thank you, Veronica. We can uh, close that again just for now. Thank you. If we look beyond Paul's quote to the rest of Psalm 68, verse 18, which we just had, but um, you can go and read it again later, we can extend that to God giving gifts even to the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. I mean, isn't that a story of God's redemption of us rebels, restored into his kingdom, adopted as beloved sons and daughters so that he might live in and amongst us? Paul's deliberate misquote of Psalm 68:18 highlights and presents as a sticking out as a sore thumb the wow of God's amazing grace and generosity we should be showering him with praise. He is showering us with gifts. And what about these gifts that God has given to his people? What are they? If you have your Bible with you, we find out in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers 
what Jesus has given his church, us, his united body, are people with particular skills and abilities, particular assignments and callings that are here to help his body to function well. We're not going to spend long this morning digging into these five particular callings or four if you see pastors and teachers as joined as some do. We'll save that for another day. But today I want us to take in just for a moment that Jesus has lovingly designed and equipped his church to have these functions in them. That we have people who are gifted us to, and we'll just summarize, as apostles, that is sent ones, pioneer new initiatives and movements. We have the prophets, people who are gifted to us to hear particularly from God and speak for him. We have the evangelists, people who are gifted to us to carry God's good news and invitation to those who don't yet know Jesus and to introduce people to him. And we have the pastors and teachers, those who are gifted to the church to lead God's people, to shepherd his flock, to care for them and feed them. Jesus designed his church with particular ministries so that all these things would be being done. And I can tell you, I am so grateful for each of those gifts that I see them in folk within Kingdom Vineyard, as well as friends we have outside. We are a blessed church because we have a whole load of these things. And, and friends, those of you who are operating in these gifts, uh, you're a blessing to serve. This morning, I do want to make a quick point about what these ministries do, because I think we can often misunderstand them. Verse 12 tells us that these ministries, these gifts to the church, are to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So these gifts, these assignments to the church are to build all of us up. So these gifts are not so that we can sit back and say, thank goodness there's an evangelist. I don't need to tell anyone about Jesus anymore. But instead, we can say, thank the Lord. That person there is gifted with a real ability here. They have the gift and an assignment of evangelism. I can learn from them. I can be trained by them for my own everyday, everyday life of pointing people to Jesus. The same goes with the prophetic. Not, ooh, at least I don't need, how to, don't need to hear how to learn from God, because so-and-so over there does it. But instead, thank you, Jesus, for so-and-so, and that you've given us the gift of their ministry to help us all learn to how to hear from you, good grief. I am convinced that whilst there are some who have particular gifts and callings from God to do these things, their roles in the church are to model, to demonstrate these things, to train us, to equip us all, to grow in them, not to replace those of us without that particular assignment in our own personal lives. The works of service are for all the people trained by, not replaced by, those with particular assignments. And every apostolic pioneer, evangelist, prophet, pastor and teacher that I know 
would agree with me enthusiastically here, I'm sure. God's vision for his church, for the body of Christ, as verse 13 tells us, is that we are all built up, that we reach unity in our faith, and that we mature in our knowledge of Jesus, that he fills us. And that is a picture of a church that stands strong against the changing winds of culture's latest concern. It's a church rooted in the truth in Jesus that is therefore able to say, yes, that part of that concern is good. That's on God's heart too. And no, that's not quite right. That actually goes against God's best plan for us. And God has equipped his church to stand strong precisely through these gifts of people who help us to hear him, who lead and teach his people, help us to introduce people to him and pioneer his works in this world. Instead of being knocked around by the concerns of the world, of which even the well-intentioned are infiltrated by the enemy anyway, we are called to be a people who, as verse 15 tells us, speak the truth in love which is a marvelous bit of wisdom. Whether we're speaking to one another within the church, or whether we're speaking to one another, our friends and family, or whether we're speaking to the world as God's people, this combination of truth and love is essential. We could be loving without being truthful, like when we tell someone a kind lie, in quotes, instead of a difficult truth. That often turns out not to be all that loving in the long run. Yeah, you look great, Jim. Go out like that. Or we could be truthful without being loving. For example, when we give someone criticism or a hard challenge in a way that doesn't care for them in how they receive it and how that can help their life to grow. You completely messed that up. You can leave someone condemned rather than empowered to build. Either love, in quotes, without truth, or truth, in quotes, without love, they're imperfect, even damaging, in our relationships with each other and in our interactions with the world. But, together, a family that speaks the truth in love, that is equipped with God's gifts to build us up, that treats each other with gentle, patient humility, makes every effort to keep the bond of the Holy Spirit and unity to welcome and love his presence. That family will grow to become the mature body of him who is our head. As verse 15 tells us, Jesus Christ. So, as we come into land, why not some practical takeaways from this morning's passage? Friends, let us make sure that we look for ways to build each other up in the gifts that the church has been given. To speak to each other with truth in love and to always look to treat one another with the gentleness and the humility and the patience that is worthy of our calling. And from him, like branches that are growing from a vine, 
his body, the church, will grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. Or, to put it another way, we will be living lives worthy of the calling that we have received from him. Lives lived in unity with each other and united to him. Lives in partnership with him and submitted to him. Lives where he gives gifts to us, equips us, and forms us. And lives where he, we are used by him to bring in his kingdom more and more into the world around us. Why don't we pray? And Lord, we invite you to come and speak to us in encouragement, to come and point out gifts that you have given to us, your body, us as individuals. Please, Lord, would you show us parts that you want us to play in your body? And Lord, we invite you, please, would you lovingly, as we know you will, point out things that we need to make right with you. Ways that we need to change how we interact with each other. And would you give us the power and the strength in submission to you and love with you to make those changes. Come Holy Spirit, we need your presence. We need you to lead your body. And we love it when you do. You're so kind and so faithful. I'm just going to stay a little longer here before I hand back because I have the sense that God wants to give gifts this morning. If you're thinking, man, I, I really love that gift of apostolic pioneering. I'd love to be starting new projects. I'd love to hear from the Lord powerfully, prophetically. I would love to have the gift of evangelism, to have the joy of seeing people come to know Jesus or pastoring or teaching. Um, just want to give you space to say hey lord i fancy that can i have one of those please or to grow in it more please lord Amen. Lord, come have your way more and more.